fall is upon us. Labor Day in the rear view mirror. And you know a company's going to help out your property this year better than any other? Steel, S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com, more than 10,000 in the country. So there's one right around the corner from you. And steelusa.com. And they have so many products. Some that I'm going to highlight today because they're on sale. How about... um, $30 $30 off right now for the Garden Pruner, the GTA 26. It's a great tool for any platform, and uh, it is on sale right now. Also, the BGA 57 battery-powered blower that'll clean up anything. You need a pressure washer? They got sales going on pressure washers right now as well. And uh, if gas is your thing, free chainsaw case, chain and hat after purchase of an MS-261 or an MS-271. Chainsaws galore. Got to check it out. Again, go to SteelUSA.com to see all of the wonderful products and the wonderful deals to get you rolling this autumn. S-T-H-L, SteelUSA.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, former Buffs superstar quarterback Charles Johnson. I'm trying to figure out which is more surprising to me, the speed in which the winds began to come or the, the attention nationally that this program is getting. Russ looks better, but the Broncos lose. And a tone-deaf pitcher in Seattle. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell your fantasy football buddies. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Sanders winding up. He's got him in. Touchdown. Tarvaris Dawson. And with another University of Colorado victory, we begin there. Colorado over there rivals Nebraska in a game that uh, started slowly for Colorado, but in the end, they uh, showed their dominance in beating the Cornhuskers. Amazing stuff. They're 2-0 and now. And there's so many different places to go in the aftermath of that game. Uh, but you just keep shaking your head and you're saying, man, uh, I don't think anyone, the most optimistic Buff supporter, the most optimistic Coach Prime supporter could have envisioned winning in the fashion they did down at TCU, and then taking apart ultimately a Nebraska team that I know they've struggled to score and they have issues offensively. They have a new coaching staff, and Matt Rule is a good football coach. That's proven for from his time at Iowa State. And they're going to win. And they're physical, uh, especially up front on both sides of the ball in the great tradition of Nebraska teams. Those are two, two really good wins. And now they have their other rival coming in, the in-state rival, Colorado State. Um, And in a little bit, we'll talk to Charles Johnson, who I uh, love visiting with. But um, let me begin with uh, Shador. Shador initially wasn't quite as sharp. And as much as Dion and his staff coached against being overconfident and basking in the spotlight of what had occurred in Fort Worth, it is human nature. And I think that had something to do with maybe the sluggish beginning. And let's give Nebraska credit. Nebraska's got talent. But those things in concert, I think, 
um, you know, worked against Colorado early in the football game. There were some notes though with Shadour. Um, he at times, I think, needs to actually tuck the football down and run. He's so Brady-esque that I'm going to find an open receiver. And he has such a great feel for where to go with the football and is so accurate when he does deliver the football that he's going to throw, throw, throw. And there are times, even for Tom Brady, who wasn't you know, a great athlete in terms of being able to run, there are times that you need to use your legs. And I hope we see more of that from Shador uh, going forward because maybe like you, I, I was – watching the game like run just go take five six yards there seven yards whatever it is go run and um you you know that'll make it that much more difficult for a secondary because you put them in conflict if you have a quarterback that can escape the pocket and make positive yards with their feet um, you know now do they all of a sudden leave their receiver and that opens up some things so we'll see that going forward uh, i'm sure with shador one thing and i and this isn't just a university of colorado thing so many schools do this uh under center on the goal line for me should be part of your offensive package in other words if you have first and goal at the half yard line or the one yard line why are you and there are times for this but why are you in the shotgun and now catching the football five yards behind the line of scrimmage when your intent is to get a half a yard and i thought that cost colorado a little bit uh early in that football game defense was much better this week defense was much better um more active more physical more disruptive it's all good I'll leave the rest of Colorado to my conversation uh, with CJ coming up. I think uh, I think you'll enjoy that. One note on college football after a couple of weeks. This drives me nuts. The, the, the rule change this year that the clock will not stop after first downs. How many people who are college football fans have said in the past, when you only play a dozen of these things before the bowl season, Man, that game takes too long. You know, it just takes too long. I I don't think most good football fans utter that phrase. And one of the beautiful things about college football is there are a lot of possessions. You can get down by two or three touchdowns. And unlike the NFL, where it's pretty much game over, it's not so in college football. Because the clock would stop after a first down. So you could get the football back and you could have opportunities for far more possessions than you see on Sunday in the NFL. And I understand that in the NFL, they play 17 times. I get that. But I don't like this in, in, in college football. I don't like the fact that they changed that rule where when you get a first down, the clock keeps running unless you're inside two minutes. Don't like it. And now he's going to run it. He's going to try to run for the first down. He's got it. And slid down in bounds. Scrambling to get in that first down and ice in the game. Well, that'll do it. Las Vegas 17, the Broncos 16. Man, oh, man, the Broncos, they just have to, I'm going to steal the cliche, learn to win because they've become accustomed to losing. 17-16, they lose at home in their opener against the Raiders. You find ways to win and you find ways to lose. In the case of the Broncos, the defense, which was pretty solid, didn't get a lot of pressure, 
uh, on Jimmy G. But they were solid. I mean, if you give up 17 points in the NFL, guess what? You're supposed to win. You are supposed to win. They couldn't get off the field late. You had the late hit penalty. That didn't help when it looked like they could have gotten off the field. And ultimately, they never get the football back to Russell Wilson, who actually, you know, every loss last year as they piled up, you you know, the fingers pointed at, at Russell Wilson became too many to count. This wasn't on Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson looked good. Russell Wilson looked comfortable. He threw the ball with confidence. He threw the ball with accuracy. He moved around. He made good decisions. That was a a real positive. The negative, beyond the loss, which is obvious, they scored 16 damn points again. That's what they averaged a year ago. They were horrendous offensively a year ago. So somehow Wilson played much better, and yet you still lost by a point, and you only scored 16. And they left some points in the kicking department on the field that, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda provided the difference. An extra point, uh, a field goal. Will Lutz was summoned from New Orleans because he had a longstanding relationship with Sean Payton, and his debut was not spectacular, to say the least, for the Broncos. So they move on. And we'll see what transpires in week two with the Broncos. But that was disappointing. Home game against not a great football team in the Raiders. They're a team in transition, and you couldn't get it done. And it looked eerily familiar in some ways to what we witnessed not only last year, but in uh, previous seasons as well. Though I guess the one bright spot, as I said, was that Russell Wilson looked pretty good. The Aaron Rodgers tearing of the Achilles is devastating and devastating not just to Jet fans, long-suffering Jet fans. It's clearly, number one, devastating for Aaron Rodgers, who at 39 was re-energized. He'd become the, the talk of New York. He'd become the talk and the number one story in the NFL. And it was going to go week to week to week with the Jets. They have a very good football team, and now they had the missing link. They had a great quarterback. And he plays four snaps. And he's done not only for the year, but now the question is, will he come back? And it's terrible for, again, number one for Aaron Rodgers, you know, and and number two for Jets fans. But it's bad for all of us. I grew up in New York because, you know, I'm a Giant fan. I'm not going to go there. Not going to go there. Being the masochist, I will say one thing. Being the masochist that I am, I watched every snap of that giant debacle against Dallas at home. And I focused acutely on the television after the extra point because I wanted to see, late in the game, I wanted to see the 39 become 40. That was awful. Awful, awful, awful. Um, But getting to the Jets and having grown up in New York, I don't hate the Jets. Huge Giant fan, but I don't hate the Jets. They're like the little brother. You don't hate them. Oh, they have a nice year. Good for the Jets. Now, growing up a Mets fan, I hated the Yankees. That's different. But but even ardent Jet fans or Giant fans, they don't they don't hate the Jets. But this is bad for the league. Um, Aaron Rodgers, whether you like him or you dislike him, you have to watch him. Right? He's must see television on Sunday. And now, who knows? Selfishly, I hope he comes back. 
We've seen Tom Brady play into his mid-40s. Hard to come back from a major injury like an Achilles. But you just want to see that that chapter be written much differently than four plays. The lead-up, hard knocks, the daily seeing Aaron Rodgers at the U.S. Open, at a Broadway play, at a Knicks game, at a Rangers game, around town. You know, we were like voyeurs. And we don't want that that chapter, that story to end four plays into his Jet career. <laughs> Long-suffering Jet fans are like, yep, we can't have nice things. Can't have nice things. All right, let me take you to our interview this week. Uh, I've known Charles Johnson since he played at the University of Colorado in the late 80s and took over, as uh, Buff fans know, and all sports fans who've lived here for a long period of time took over in the national championship game when Darian Hagan went down with a torn patellar tendon. What a, a, a nice career he had as a football player. He was primarily a backup to Darian. But everything that, that Charles Johnson's been involved with, um, he has done well. From being a member of the media, hosting talk shows, and now being involved in business. He's a winner, man. I sound like Dion, but he is. Charles Johnson's a winner. Um, he's a, a wonderful guy, and uh, I'm... Proud to call him a friend for more than uh, 30 years. So without further ado, I thought uh, the number one person in terms of ex-buffs I could get on this week to talk about Deion Sanders, to talk about the University of Colorado football program, I said, it's got to be CJ, the former quarterback of the Buffs. Enjoy, everybody. Well, CJ, you and I were chatting yesterday. I wish we were recording yesterday because we got going on the phone. I'll start here. How surprised, shocked are you at what has transpired over the first couple of weeks of this college football season, which was clearly much anticipated because of Deion Sanders? You you know, Drew, I'm trying to figure out, it's a great question, I'm trying to figure out which is more surprising to me, the 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 speed in which the wins began to come, you know, sitting now at two and zero, or the the attention nationally that this program is getting. Um, you look at, I mean, we're everywhere. We're lead stories on broadcast. Uh, I see. I've seen us on Good Morning America. I've seen the brand. You know, college game day and big noon Saturday. I, I can't figure out which is more surprising to me, how quick it all came together in terms of wins and losses, or just the, how fascinated I think the nation has become and interested the nation has become with the, with the CU slash Dion primetime standard story. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. And I'll be honest, going in, and I said it, you know, on this, on this podcast that, I am more intrigued to watch CUTCU, we'll go back a couple of weeks, than I have any Colorado football game in at least 20 years. And and maybe, quite frankly, back to almost your era. Though, as you know, you know Colorado maintained, even after Coach Mack left, they maintained uh, a high level of excellence uh, initially with Rick Neuheisel and, and to a certain degree with Gary Barnett as well. Um, but... I wanted to see what it looked like. But having said that, CJ, you played this game at a high level. 
to take 75, 85 new kids and just say, hey, we're going to mold them together, even if they're more talented, and we're going to be a winning football game from Jump Street, that doesn't happen. No, it, it doesn't happen. And to your point, I'm on record as saying I thought the TCU win was the most impressive victory, at least in the time that I've been around, and that dates back to 1987 for CU football. It, it, it was in part because of the lead up, everything you just said, right? I, I didn't know how, how fast it could come together. Uh, to see what that team accomplished against that level of opponent, um, to me was the most impressive victory. And I know we've had some impressive ones, Drew. You, you've been around for all of them, right? And, uh, uh, I, I, I'm just, I'm fascinated with it. I go back to, I think, the 2001 Big 12 championship game, I think it was CU versus Texas. I think that was the last, uh, the, the, the last, that, that's the last game that was as intriguing or as impressive, as you will, as what we witnessed CU versus TCU. Yeah, it, it's remarkable. And I've got to ask you something that you and I are, are of similar age. We watched Prime play. We watched Deion Sanders, who was the fastest guy maybe I've ever seen in football equipment. We also watched him play Major League Baseball, where he was an impactful player. That is our generation. What do 18, 19, 20-year-old kids know about Prime other than watching YouTube videos and why the fascination with him? That is... An amazing, I, I, that is, that question right there is one that confounds me to some degree. Here's what I believe. I think Coach Kron has a unique, given that he's our generation, right? He has a unique ability to communicate to, um, the current generation or the, the, the younger generation. And I hear echoes of it in all of his press conferences. He's almost speaking with them as opposed to preaching to them. Um, and you look at how he runs his program. I think this is what makes a lot of sort of the college football traditionalists uncomfortable. It dawned a lot of criticism from, again, the traditionalists before the season. Prime has this unique way of being a disciplinarian in a way that's inviting to these kids. You can wear your bling. You could wear your, you know, you could do your thing. You know, you Listen, I promote, he promotes the social media engagement stuff, right? He speaks to, He speaks their language, and at the same time, I think the trade-off is that they're more willing to accept what he demands from them. He, he's found that sweet spot, Drew, that I think a lot of us from our generation who can get a little preachy towards uh, the, the, the younger generation haven't been able to do and i think that's the the prime magic and why he's been so successful so early one thing that's misunderstood about him and i'm going to have you articulate this is i think based on some of what you just said people think oh you know it's you know their their practices are you know it's uh who knows what people think in their mind he is old school he was influenced by his head football coach in the 80s, Bobby Bowden. He is more old school than new school. Urban Meyer said it as much um, on, on 
on the noon show on Fox. He said that he runs one of the best practices he's ever seen. It's crisp. And you used this term a moment ago. He's a disciplinarian. Yes, he, he, he is very much so. Uh, but again, it's because because his discipline, his his tactics are packaged differently. Right. When we hear disciplinarians, Rue, we think of, you know, you know, everyone's rigid and formation, um, you know, ready to run through the wall right now as soon as coach blows the whistle. Uh, we have a set sort of definition of what that what disciplinarian or what discipline looks like. Really what Dion, I think, I think what he's captured, we can all learn from sort of his leadership style is he starts with the outcome. What am I trying to accomplish? And given given the army that I have, how do I best get there? Right? How do I best communicate with these with this generation of young men to get them to, to accomplish the ultimate outcome that we're trying to accomplish? That's a tough sort of circle to square right there. Deanna figured it out and I think it's natural. If you you mentioned Bobby Bowden, I think what Prime really has, has sort of leaned into was who his coach was, we love dearly, talked glowingly about, who Bobby Bowden was, being as old school as you could imagine, and who he is, uh, if you think about the prime that we, you know, our contemporary with the bling and the sunglasses and all of that, and blending those two realities together. There's no way he could be as successful as he has been over the over the long arc of his career both as a player and now in coaching, without being extremely disciplined. We lose sight of that. And I think he's able to, to translate that to these kids, and they love him. They gravitate and, again, are willing to run through that wall for him, just as he was his coach, who was an old-school disciplinarian. Yeah, that's well put. You had an interesting story because you went down to Fort Worth to watch the opener against TCU. Retell that story you shared with me yesterday about, you know, seeing about 20 different folks and just conversing with, I, I can't remember if you were at the stadium or hotel lobby yet, but, but retell that story. Yeah, yeah. so I'm at, I'm at the hotel the, the night before the game and, and we're in Fort Worth and there's this buzz. It felt more like a bowl game type of environment than, you know, a regular season game, albeit the first game of the season. So I took note of that first. I'm noticing all of these people, and I'm, you know, I'm 100 years old, so it's not it's not um, surprising that I didn't recognize a lot of the faces other than some of the, you know, the administrators and people who've been around for a while. But I'm noticing all these new faces, and I'm caught up in the buzz as well. But I want to get to know, are, are you all, you know, uh, family of players, those that type of thing. So there was a group of about 20 or so people, and I'm beginning to just survey them, sort of probe them one by one, like, what's your interest in the program? Are you a, a parent or, or, or a family member? And of the 20, Drew, about nine or so had zero affiliation with CU. They were not parents or siblings to, or, or related to players. They were not alum. They were not, they had no real affiliation to it. I was fascinated with their explanation for having CU gear on and being at the team hotel just kind of caught up in the euphoria. They were, they were followers of Coach Prime. And, and three, three of that, three of them have actually flown in 
from, I think, North Carolina just to witness and be a part of game one. That was fascinating to me. Yeah, it's yeah, it's remar- it's remarkable. And now it's a celebrity deal as well. Media celebrities like Stephen A. Smith, um, yes. former teammates Michael Irvin. I mean, everywhere you look, as Shannon Sharp flew in, everywhere you look, there's somebody that wants a piece of not just pride, but be a be a part of what's going on at the University of Colorado. I want I want to dig a little deeper on 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 a, on a place we started to go and that is the way this looks. Obviously, Coach Prime's not the first African American head football coach of, of a, a Power 5 school. In fact, Colorado has employed a number of African American coaches. There there are a number around the country, but he doesn't fit whatever that coach's mold has been, and I don't know if that's just that's not a, a a black thing or a white thing. It's just this is what a coach kind of appears to be, right? And he's not he's not that guy. Drew, I think you you just hit the nail on the head, and I think this is it could be prescriptive for coaches. Period. I think it's certainly pres- pres- uh, prescriptive uh, for the players that he coaches and he preaches this. Dion has broke the mold in a lot of ways. There is no one way to to do this as, as you watch him uh, go by, about his craft. He is unapologetically and uniquely him. You're right. There's almost for coaches a handbook that you must, a script that you follow if you're going to be a successful coach. I think what happens a lot of times is because every coach or coaches are trying to fit that mode or fit that script, abide to that script, they lose themselves in that process. And, you know, and so they're trying to be something that is has been prescribed, but that's not necessarily them. Dion is coming this, Coach Prime is coming to this and said, I'm anything but, you know, I, you know, there are principles of, of leadership that he adheres to, but in terms of how I express myself, I'm going to be 100% uniquely true to who I am. Uh, and I think that's going to be attractive to these young men that I'm trying to uh, attract or recruit to the University of Colorado. That's what this generation appreciates, my true authenticity, uh, authenticity and not, uh, you know, a script of what people think a coach is supposed to be. I think that's part of the prime magic, if you will. I want to talk to football aspect now. How how good are they? We've seen them play two football games as you and I chat, and they're getting ready to play, uh, you know, their in-state rivals, Colorado State, uh, on Saturday. How good a football team are they? Put, put your, your quarterback hat back on. Drew, let me tell you, after week one, I said, wow, this is a talented team. Right, so I, I I didn't go to man. This is a really good football team. I went to man. This is a much more talented team that we've seen in the past. Right, that was my week one observation. After week two, I'm concluding that this is a good, a damn good football team, and I'll tell you why. Week one, we saw talent unleashed. I I'd never seen anything quite like Travis Hunter. 129 plays. I'm like, my goodness. 
and to see him as the best perimeter threat on offense and the best he's he was the best offensive player and the best defensive player not a quarterback on the team that's you've never we've never seen anything quite like that i thought shador he he proved to me i i had a chance to watch him a bit in the off season i always knew he was good i loved his poise but he was you know 10x what i thought he was just a, he's a damn good quarterback and if, as you know if you got a good quarterback you got a shot to win football games but what i was most impressed with was the different ways in which they won their first two games they went out it was a shootout against tcu they struggled early against nebraska and then then sort of inserted what what you know their will or their you know just imposed their will in terms of who they are as a team on Nebraska, it was their defense that kept them in it early and allowed the offense that came out sluggish, uh, probably with a little bit of a hangover after the TCU game, and methodically went about getting back to what they wanted to be. That's the sign of a damn good football team, and that's why I concluded after two games, uh-oh, this isn't just a, a flash in the pan or just talent. This team is well coached, and they know what they want to be. They're patient with getting to what they uh, want to get to, and uh, so I think, I think the sky's the limit. And I don't want to get out ahead of my skis, Drew, but I think there's something special happening here. Yeah, and, and it's amazing because Vegas doesn't get many things wrong, and nobody knew because Vegas had the the over under it at I think three and a half wins, and I and I you know from looking at it as we do logically who watched the sport for so long. You say, yeah, I mean, that makes some sense because of what we discussed earlier. You have so many new people. They have a very difficult schedule. And so you said, yeah, you know, if they win four football games, probably not bad. You know, and, and I think the most ardent supporters of the Buffs, some close friends of, of mine, including yourself, you'd say, man, if you could get to 500 this year and go to, you know, go to the who. You know, the who gives a damn bowl game or whatever, right? You'd be like, "Hey, what a great first season for Prime!" He he'd probably be in the Coach of the Year, National Coach of the Year, um, on a short list. Now you're thinking grandiose terms, in grandiose terms for this season, are you not? No, you, you're absolutely right, and I didn't mind the three and a half because what I wanted to do was sort of, sort of you know, take the pressure off, right? I just wanted this to be a season where we can watch it evolve. And, and so I wasn't offended by the three and a half. I thought it was low, but I said good because, you know, the way the way Dion goes about his business is he's setting lofty expectations all the time. And I thought for me, sort of a, uh, a, a first level interested party in the program, I want to take some of that pressure off. And so, you know, three and a half, cool. I always thought, look, if we get to five, six would be great. Five would be a real short progress. Again, I don't want to get ahead of my skis, Drew, and you're trying to take me down. I'm not going to let you do it. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, uh, I could – listen, man, we take care of our business this week against Colorado State. Uh, we got two real big ones coming up. I think there will be a real test. I'm thinking – there's a shot for us in both those games now at Oregon home against USC uh, because of what I've seen over the first two weeks of the season. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I, I think anybody who has 
their eyes wide open, would agree. I want to go back to Shadur for a moment because I knew he was talented. Um, I, he was obviously a, a, a highly sought-after recruit coming out of high school. I think people may have missed the fact that he was a four-star recruit, but he went to play for his father, naturally, at an HBCU at Jackson State. What I did not realize is just how good this kid is until I watched him um, against TCU first and foremost. Poised, and the number one thing for me, and again, you played the position, especially when you talk about playing in the NFL, and he looks like a first-round pick to me and a guy who's going to play a long time in the NFL. He is really, really accurate. Yes, he, he is extreme. And, it, it, you know, it's funny because he's not the athlete. He's not the pure athlete that his dad was, right? He is a... Hey, let me, hey, let me jump in there because I said this earlier, CJ. There were times watching him against Nebraska, I'm like, tuck it down and run. Tuck it down and run. You know, you're, you're hoping because he, he, he's not a bad athlete. I mean, he's, he's, he's not, you know, you know, some 40-year-old. He's not Tom Brady, right? He, Tom Brady tutors him. But you know what I mean? I was like, run the football sometimes. Tuck it down and go pick up 6-7 and slide. I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm screaming the same thing. And at the same time, I'm with he is, it's interesting, you, you, you mentioned Tom Brady. He is more Tom Brady-esque than I think we give him credit for. And he, he you know, he, he works out with Tom. I think his throwing motion, how he delivers the ball is very Tom Brady-esque. He is a guy whose eyes are downfield. He's always looking. He buys time with the feet. He's not a scrambler. He buys time with the feet to deliver the ball down the field. I've come to, I've grown to sort of appreciate that about his game. And again, sometimes we're looking at him and say, hey man, you're a good athlete, run the ball. His natural instinct is to buy time. How many times have we seen him already in this short season actually scramble? He, he moves out of the pocket, not to scramble and, and run for yards, but to buy time to let those extremely talented receivers find space and he's throwing strikes down the field. You mentioned his accuracy. That's something that I think will become more and more the storyline as, as the season gets older. Yeah, I mean, he's he's really, really good. I mean, it was eye-opening for me because uh, whatever it was, halfway through that, that game at TCU that you were at, I'm like, this dude's a first-round, high first-round pick in the NFL. I didn't realize that. I had no idea that... That I, you know, when when Dion was saying we got our quarterback, two's our quarterback, and you're like, okay, you know that this sounds like prime, and he's proud of his kids as well he should be, but I I didn't realize what he knew beyond just being a proud papa. I think a couple of things too, a couple of takeaways for me. I think, and hopefully we all kind of send this. I think the level of because we we. We disregarded what we were seeing as related to Coach Prime and as it related to Shador over the last three years, in part because they competed at that level at an HBCU, right? Okay, that's cool. You had success as a coach. You had success as a quarterback. But it was at that level, against that competition. I think one of the takeaways, well, I've always knew this, but one of the takeaways for all of us should be maybe we should pay a little bit more closer attention to what's going on. That's some talent, a lot of talent 
that plays and dresses up each Saturday afternoon for HBCUs. The, the level of competition is greater than we give it credit for. Uh, and, and the second thing is, um, you know, because a lot of times I think for people it's hard for them to get beyond uh, how Coach Prime delivers his message. We get caught up in, and you, you, were, you, you just mentioned it, certainly I'm guilty of it to some degree as well. We have our quarterback, too, period. And instead of us believing that, it's like, ah, yeah, that's just prime being prime, selling, he's selling. That was substance. It was obviously substance to it. And what we're discovering is there's substance to everything that this guy is talking about, and we have to get beyond sort of the, the way the message is delivered with all the flamboyance and, um, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, this hyperbolic nature of it and accept the fact that this dude knows what the hell he's talking about probably. And it's, and it's coming to fruition. Do you know, one of my favorite lines that, um, you know, emanated from him in, in one of the interviews he's done was he was asked, would he be nervous, you know, taking the field against TCU? And he, he, he you know, prime-esque way, he um, he laughed. He said, I played in the Super Bowl. I played in the World Series. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to be nervous coaching, you know, against TCU in Fort Worth. And, again, people forget he's been on that stage. And he does remind people he's been a winner at everything uh, he's done. And no one's going to second-guess that now. What I find very interesting is kind of the Matt Rule effect. Matt Rule, in a uh, you know, in an underhanded kind of way, maybe uh, you know, disparaged how Colorado was going about things with the transfer portal, etc., with Coach Prime. And then when it came to game week, especially after he witnessed what happened in Fort Worth, you know, he backtracked and he became like a PR firm for prime and he was that way in the aftermath of the game um and and i thought you know he deserves credit he went across the field obviously prime doesn't move well the kids were coming on the field um but you're seeing now every coach in the country and certainly the ones that are going to line up against him cj they're they're kind of uh you know hitting one knee and saying hey we we respect what you're doing and, and last thing is we we don't want to put anything up on the bulletin board yeah, I, I think you're absolutely correct. And again, getting back to the uh, you know the conversation we we're having earlier uh, about sort of the coach's playbook, and you know it's 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 a new muscle to see what Coach Prime is doing, and it's not familiar with people. And I think Matt Rule, to some degree, got caught up in that, right? Like, and a part of it too is listen, the realization that I can't communicate or I can't do, I'm not the celebrity he is. And so I need to bring him back down to earth a little bit and remind people how this is done. I think he's just he's shattering that old sort of trope, that old uh, you know model. And I think early on there were a lot of people. There's still a lot of people around. Some around these parts were just uncomfortable with the way Dion goes about his business. But you're right. I think they're saying, hey, listen, you know, I I I do things differently. Um, I might not have approached it that way. And quite frankly, maybe I would have if I had the ability to do so. That's the other thing. Um, 
but they're beginning to give kudos to this guy because you're beginning to see the results. Uh, and, 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 and the other thing too is how do I recruit against them? I mean, we're going after the same five and four star players. I have to bring this thing down to earth a little bit to give my program, if I'm Matt Rule or some other coach out there, a chance to compete against this juggernaut who is out there uh, attracting some of the top talent in the country. This past Saturday, I think there were 15 to 20, um, like, high-level recruits at the game. And that atmosphere, that bodes well for CU in the future. It helped Todd Boyle. There was a kid on the sideline, a basketball recruit, a four-star recruit out of Texas. He verbally committed uh, yesterday to the <laughs> buff. Know that. Yeah, That's fascinating. That's awesome. Hey, right. listen, when you're on the side, think about this. You're a four-star, five-star, you know, recruiting any sport. And this is your generation, right? And I'm on the sideline, and you, as you mentioned, you know, Stephen A. is there, and Shannon Sharp. Um, you have uh the, the the lead actor from the from the show Power uh is on the side. Wu Tang clan is in the house, right? They were in concert and they are in the house. They're fascinated. They have to be there. Uh T O is there. Uh as you mentioned Michael Irvin. This is there's something extremely attractive about this place, not just for recruits, but for everyone. I mean the the culture is gravitating towards Coach Prime and the CU program, and um, it, it's hard to kind of turn away from and say no to. No, and, and listen, every kid in the country, I think it's been this way already, but now because the proof's in the pudding and they're winning football games and they're doing it in a very attractive manner, there's not a kid in the country that is elite, 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 where it's normally, you know, their visits are going to be Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, LSU, Texas, you know, pick, you know, those five. Guess what? Colorado is going to be one of those five for every kid in America now that has four or five stars next to their name. Hey, man, I, I, wish, I, want, you, I, I want you to record what you just said and send it to me. Whenever I'm, ha- whenever I'm having a tough day or a tough moment at work or whatever, I'm just going to play that, man, because I get giddy when I hear that, and that's true. You know, every kid in America that that's being coveted by the top programs in the country, now including CU as a possible uh, possible destination place for their academic and athletic future. All right. Well, I, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but I want to take you somewhere else because, as you know, because you 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 moved here from Detroit. You had a wonderful career. You became ingrained in in the Boulder community and the greater Colorado community first, you know, as a player, then as a member of the media, now in business. CJ, you're a Colorado now, like me. I'm from New York originally, but I'm a Colorado. And we have, especially at the University of Colorado in the last 20 years, there's a there's a football inferiority complex. So now that everybody's giddy, I'll steal your term for a moment. There's also, all right, well, how long is this going to last? Because the, the first big, big, big time school that comes a call and Dion's going to pack his bags. And I said last week, not so fast. First of all, we know he's a unique entity. We know this, that Colorado is impossible to beat from a quality of life standpoint. And, and why can't, if you can win a national championship, which you all did in 90, why can't you not only do it again now, but do it into the future? And why does this have to be 
a, a stepping stone or why does you know it, it doesn't have to be is what I'm trying to say a stepping stone do you concur because you want to concur or do you believe that to be true I think you are spot on and haven't been around and spending time with Dion he he genuinely loves this environment he loves the mountains he loves nature he's a He's an avid fisherman, right? He he loves that stuff. And I know it's hard for us to, you know, the impression we get is that he wants to be in, you know, in Florida somewhere, in Miami, or, you know, bright lights, Los Angeles. This is kind of who he is in his core. And you are spot on as well when you talk about why not here? I don't know. You know, it's a unique sort of marriage, Dion and CU. I don't know that any other major program would have could have afforded any coach the stage almost without interruption, right? This is yours. We've been so down for so long. Listen, we're turning it over to you, Dion. Go make this work. Um, and at the same time, have a guy who in his nature could really appreciate the landscape of what Colorado offers him uh, and who he is as a person. So I, I think this thing is poised for long-term success. We have to accept it. We have to embrace it. When I say we, I'm talking about the powers that be at the university, the folks here. We have to support it in a way that we probably never have. Uh, the one thing that could derail, and, and I hate to even go here, is that I think support for college athletics, support for college football more specifically, comes more naturally in, uh, in some other places, right? It's just you know, this, the state offers up so much, so many things to do. There's so many students and interests at CU from all around the country because we're just that attractive of a, a campus, a university, that, you know, it's a different sort of cultural environment in Tuscaloosa or in Gainesville or in Austin. But that's the one challenge. That's the one thing I got my eye on. To what degree? Are we willing to step up and say, we got something special here, we have to support it in a way that perhaps we never have uh, so that this is sustainable? And that one thing I told Dion upon first meeting him and having a conversation with him is my goal isn't to win a championship this year. My goal is to make sure you retire the head football coach of the University of Colorado. What was his reaction to that? That's, his plan. That's what I plan to do, CJ. That's what I plan to do. That's why I'm here. Yeah, and, and you know, the other, I guess, aspect of it, when I was jotting down notes in preparation for chatting with you, is not just, okay, this can be as good a place, and you know it. Again, you won a national championship. You saw how ravenous the community was in supporting. And when I say the community, I'm not just talking about Boulder and Louisville. I'm talking about Denver and, and the whole region, the entire region, right, supporting uh, what you guys did. And for a long period of time. I mean, I tell my boys because they, you know, and I had one who graduated from Boulder that, you know, back in the day, for for a significant period of time, Colorado was a top five, top ten program annually. And not only can they get back to that, and I think they're going to be back to that, you know, in the coming weeks. But what my concern would be is that, okay, what is his desire uh, to coach and enthusiasm to coach 
when Shadour is now in the NFL and Shiloh potentially is in the NFL and there's not a Sanders on the team. I know he loves young men and, and molding young men beyond just being football players. He states that at every opportunity. Um, but what is the motivation you know, as he moves into his 60s to say, hey, I, I still want to do this and I don't care what their last name is? You know, that's, that's a great question. And, you know, as a father myself, your father, that's one of those things that, you know, that's inside of us, it's in our gut, that it's hard for, it's difficult for people outside to sort of analyze that. And I think it is a big test because you hear Dion tell the story of how he got involved in coaching and why he got involved in coaching. It was motivated in real part by what he was witnessing on his, you know, as, he, as his sons were coming up in sports, right? He's like, well, hey, you know, I, things aren't happening, right? So he was motivated by their engagement in it. And he, he's had the, the, the luxury, the opportunity to shepherd that all the way through. And to your point, as now we're at the end of that sort of, you know, that, that, um, that journey, what then next for Dion? Here's what I think. I think Dion himself, is motive, you know, if you think about who he is, and we've watched his career over the course of time, he's motivated by success himself. And I think, you know, he's always looking at the next sort of giant to slay. And, it, and I think for him personally, that just may be it, right? Those who question his motivation beyond his kids playing the game and him being in close proximity and being able to coach them. The next giant to slay is to, is to say, I am, as an individual coach prime, who will have sustainable success beyond coaching my kids. Now, watch this world as my kids go on and do things beyond their college football lives on the time in which I'm coaching them. That's what I'm thinking will happen next, but as I said just a second ago, you know, as a parent, that sort of, you know, parent-child motivation is something that is hard for outsiders to speak to. So time will tell, but I think uh, I think we'll have him here for a while, Drew. I, I hope – my fingers are crossed. I hope you're right because it's, it's so uh, – you know how much I love college football and, and to see, you know, to see – people you know tailgating hours before and not just okay we'll walk into the game because it's a beautiful saturday and in the autumn in boulder and well i don't it's not going to be pleasant what we're going to watch now uh to to see what's going on it's awesome i want to change gears on you really quickly because it's the news of the day as we tape on this tuesday and that is the the aaron Rodgers tearing the achilles in, in new york not only as a former, you know, quarterback and a former player, um, this is bad for for the NFL. It's bad. It's 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 tragic in some ways. And you know, I'm a New York Giant fan, not a Jet fan. And, and but this was a great, great story. It was the centerpiece story of the NFL. And man, that's that's a huge blow, isn't it? It it really is. And I hate to see it. I hate it for Aaron. I hate it for uh, football fans, but here it should it should also be a reminder to all of us, you know, former player, broadcaster, fan, that this is this stuff is fleeting, man. I mean, there's no guarantees, and the nature of the sport itself is so violent that it happens. This is more about I think more about just the humanity of it, right? I mean, imagine Aaron Rodgers 
and how he must be feeling at this point. And so for as disappointing as it is for me, the fan, I'm thinking there were no guarantees to begin with because of the nature of this game. And, um, you know, to take a second and say, you know, it's not not woe is me as a fan. It's just the reality and the risk that these guys take every time they go out there on that field. And, um, and, you know, this is, it happens. And, you know, it doesn't make us less, should make us less enthusiastic about it. We, you know, we feel bad for the situation, feel bad for Aaron. Um, but look, we all as, as Broncos fans in these parts, you know, we saw a hit that I didn't think was intentional, but there was a receiver laid out on the field, um, who will probably come back at some point this year. And I think about, man, he suffered that concussion. We didn't know what the ultimate diagnosis would be. And then you think about what are the potential long-term effects of that. This is just real-life stuff that I think it gives us an opportunity to pause and say, wow, you know, they, they take risks that we generally don't on a daily basis. And let's just appreciate that for a moment. Yeah, well, well put again. And, you know, we, we do focus on the injuries at the highest level in the sport, but there's a lot of us, I include me in this now, that played a lot of football that didn't play anywhere close to the NFL, obviously. And you start to wonder, okay, what what did all, what did we go through? And especially of a different generation, undiagnosed concussions and that sort of thing. There is a price. There is a heavy price that is that is paid for that adrenaline rush of when you run out of a tunnel. Uh-huh. Yes, indeed. Well said, Drew. No doubt. Yeah. Hey, uh, you know what, CJ? You should think about doing this uh, on occasion for a living. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but uh, you know, you're pretty good at it. Well, doing what? What? <laughs> what are you talking about football? What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, you're the best. Um, I cannot tell you how much I I always enjoy our our chats, and I look forward to standing uh, standing with you shoulder to shoulder and, and watching your buffs. Uh, uh, play when uh, when this little thing called the Major League Baseball season concludes. I love it, man. Love you, Drew, and uh, appreciate what you do. You've always been a friend, man, and uh, I'm I'm better for it, my friend. Yeah, I'm. Uh, hey, listen, I'm going to give you a, a shout on uh, on something coming up here um, in the in the coming coming days. So I'm going to give you a holler. But you are the best. I mean that. Um, I wish you continued success. Love you, brother, and I will uh, talk to you soon. Okay, boss. Thanks so much, Drew. CJ's great, man. I could talk to him for hours, and uh, we'll get him on periodically, and uh, you can tell how enthused and excited he is, like all of us, for what uh, he's witnessed so far up in Boulder. Turning the page to baseball on the Rockies' front, Hunter Goodman continues to impress, and how about those two outfielders, man? Nolan Jones and Brenton Doyle. It's rare that you go to the park and you go, I wonder what I'm going to see from an outfielder tonight. But the way those guys throw, it's crazy. In the first game of the series between the Rockies and the Chicago Cubs, Nolan Jones fired to the plate at 102.5 miles an hour, close to 103 miles an hour, and threw another guy out at the plate. He has 15 outfield assists now. Brenton Doyle has gone off. I think Brenton Doyle should win a gold glove in center field. And I'm going to start hyping that. He should win a gold glove. He is phenomenal out there. 
I know it hasn't added up to victories right now. This is a process, and it's a painful one. I understand that. Uh, but I'm excited about some of these young guys, as I've been, uh, I've been saying. There's a baseball note I wanted to get to that has nothing to do with the Colorado Rockies. Uh, this became a, a big story, certainly I know in the Pacific Northwest, but really nationally because of how candid one George Kirby, a really talented starting pitcher for the Seattle Mariners, was after a defeat last week. And um, perhaps you've heard it. If you haven't, Here's the audio. I didn't execute. He had a good pitch. Um, I wish I wasn't out there for the seventh, to be honest. So I was at 90 pitches, and I didn't, I didn't think I needed to go anymore, but you know, it is what it is. So. so George Kirby, after going out there for the seventh inning and, and giving up a home run, says, you know, I really shouldn't have been in there. I was at 90-plus pitches. I didn't want to be in there. And he got, understandably vilified most notably not by the general public yeah they got after him but by former players saying are you kidding me especially pitchers <clears throat> how can you say you don't want the baseball how can you say well you're tired that is an affront to every pitcher especially from a generation or two ago that the good ones, if you went out there in the sixth or seventh inning to discuss taking the baseball from them, it'd be a fist fight. And I know the game has changed. I know you have more guys in a bullpen who throw 100 miles an hour, and you want to get to them also. I get that. George Kirby's nasty. To come out and admit or to state that you didn't want to be in there, you, that just broke the code. You don't ever do that in athletics, really at any level. I would I would hate to even think that inside as a weekend warrior, but for a professional athlete to come out and state that, I guess in some strange way you go, oh, well, give him credit. He was really honest, but that's not the honesty I want. And I'm sure it's not the honesty that the Seattle Mariners want. You know, it's just a, it's just a bad look all the way around. It's just a it's it's just a, a bad look all the way around. How about Scott Service? How does he feel about that? It's kind of like throwing him under the bus to a certain degree. Jerry Depoto, their general manager. Yeah, that that one that one was different. All right, this weekend. And maybe it's already transpired, depending on when you are listening to this podcast, Colorado and Colorado State. And from a talent standpoint, it looks like it's going to be a mismatch. I want to see Jay Norvell's uh, team improve dramatically over a year ago. I don't know how much we're going to see in that regard this weekend, uh, but I wish them well uh, in all games. Um, going forward. But uh, this thing going on right now in Boulder with Dion is a special thing. We'll do it again in seven days. Hope you enjoyed it. Tell your friends and uh, stay safe and stay well, folks. Be good. 